Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Miranda Sawyer and I've got some news about the news. By popular demand, Paper Cuts, our brilliant podcast where we look at the madness and majesty of the daily press, is going five days a week. That means you can hear my hilarious guests getting into the obsessions, the weirdness and occasionally the triumphs of the great British press every day from Monday to Friday. That's Paper Cuts, now out mid-morning every weekday. Follow us now on your favourite podcast app. Paper Cuts, we read the papers so you don't have to. Hello and welcome to Bunker Start Your Week, your need to know on news and politics seven days a week. I'm Ros Taylor and joining me is Hannah Fern. Hello, Hannah. Good morning. So it's strongly rumoured that this will be the week that the Conservatives finally kill off the Manchester leg of HS2, which is just days before their party conference in Manchester, which you can't get to by train on Saturday because there's yet another rail strike. And I'm not saying Britain is broken, but... <laughs> How much of a big deal would cancelling this branch of HS2 be? Oh, it would be huge, a huge deal, both politically and economically. There's obviously a huge amount of waste and sunk costs gone into it, but it's not just that. It's it's the kind of embarrassment, really, of of failing to invest in our country. I mean, maybe I'm not the right person to be asking about this, simply because I come from a railway family. So all my father's side of the family are railwaymen, lifelong careers in that industry. And for me, it's just an obvious thing to do is when you've made such a commitment to invest in your infrastructure, to invest in the future of green travel, you don't back away from it, even when things get tough. There is expected to be at least one resignation over this if the Manchester section is cancelled, which will obviously occur during the conference. So that's interesting. There's there's definitely um, anger within the party as well. A lot of people came out over the weekend and protested, didn't they? I mean, there was Boris Johnson, but also David Cameron, George Osborne said it would be an act of vandalism. Other Tory and other grandees and people from the North especially said it was just contrary to levelling up. Absolutely. I, I'm not surprised to see Osborne among those names because obviously he designed the kind of Northern Powerhouse project. But, you know, something I agree with George Osborne on, wonders will never cease. If you start a project like that and you are committed to, you know, devolution of investment and power for industry and so on, you've got to back it up with the infrastructure. Also, on a world stage, I think this makes us look really stupid. It reinforces the idea that we aren't somewhere to invest and that there isn't the kind of infrastructure support for businesses here. So uh, I'm really disappointed, but not surprised to see that's where we've ended up with the debate now. Is there, though, some kind of pragmatic case for axing it? Because the sunk cost thing is, after all, supposed to be a fallacy. I mean, Grant Chaps was saying yesterday that inflation had just pushed the costs way beyond what could be tolerated or implying that. He's right that it's hugely more expensive than predicted to complete it. And the government couldn't plan for things like the pandemic and Ukraine 
which have obviously played a part in rising material costs, labour costs, all of the things and inflation, all of the things that are adding to it. But also Brexit has played a significant part in that and they could plan for that. But I think the point is that we're lagging significantly far behind our neighbours now on high speed rail. France has an excellent, you know, high speed system right across the country. Spain's is, is pretty good too. Germany have always been great at rail. We simply aren't there. And what we have done, HS1, works really well. But the point of it was to connect with HS2 and, and to really connect the entire country. People in Manchester must be feeling really grim about this. The other thing about it that's quite interesting, Shaps doesn't touch on, not surprisingly, is that the discussion around the pandemic is all around this working from home culture. So do we really actually need high-speed rail anymore when business doesn't necessarily require on face-to-face contact time in order to work. But I just think he's wrong about that. All my personal WhatsApp groups are glaring up with the fact that people are furious about the fact they're now being forced back into work often four or five days a week. So I just don't think it's true that we're going to be in this working from home situation in five years' time. So the fact that we're not looking at five years' time, let alone 30, I think is a, is a big mistake. Yeah, I saw some of the ridership figures and they're above 100% of pre-pandemic. On, on yeah, exactly. And we, we want to build a green economy. What's greener than, you know, electric high-speed rail? Well, of course, the green economy is something that took a bit of a hit last week with the net zero rowback. And I've just been getting such confusing signals over recent days because the pensions triple lock now is apparently safe, but inheritance tax might be axed or maybe it won't be. It's all just so confusing and it comes ahead of the Conservative conference next weekend when they are presumably going to have to talk about these issues. Oh, yes. It does show that they can't agree on the basics anymore. That like, What do they stand for as a party in terms of where you tax, where you spend? The interesting thing about comparing triple lock inheritance taxes, so triple lock is totally unsustainable. Even Mel Stride, uh, DWP minister, has warned about that and talked about just the money isn't there. But acting it is politically very unpopular. Meanwhile, inheritance tax is totally sensible, hits all the right channels. It's something like 4% of deaths resulted in inheritance tax claim. There's a, it, virtually none of us pay it. So it really only hits the very wealthiest, but it's really politically popular because most people do not understand how it works. Most people really think that they are going to pay a huge tax when they're not. So it demonstrates the fact they're lurching away from the triple lock discussion and back towards inheritance tax is a sign of panic, I think, but they can't agree between themselves on what they want to be. Meanwhile, some Met Police firearms officers have handed in their weapons and the army has been drafted in to cover for them. Why is this? Yes, there's about 100 individuals now who've handed their weapons back in and they're saying they're reconsidering carrying a gun on the job. The reason is one of their colleagues was charged with murder over the death of Chris Cabber, who was an unarmed black man shot when he was pulled over by police in an unmarked vehicle. So those who are refusing to to serve with guns feel that they ought to be free in the line of duty to take a risk with their firearms when they think they're doing it for the right reasons and they shouldn't face a murder charge as a result. Actually, you know, those of us who've been watching the Met quite closely may feel that this is a, a good example of how it's essential that those who are carrying arms are following the rules of their engagement to the letter and they, when they're found not to, they should face charge. But it does create a massive problem for the Met, which is obviously trying to clean up at the moment and now finds itself 100 people short in a crucial uh, division. Yes, these attempts to 
clean up the mess and make it more accountable always seem to encounter such pushback. Yes, extraordinary. Where you can draw what conclusion you yeah. like from that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too that the recent riots in France were sparked by a very, very similar incident. Yes, yeah. When a man was shot by police and there was uproar as a result. So the Lib Dem conference is happening right now in Bournemouth. And what's preoccupying the party at the moment? Because there was a kerfuffle over the weekend when Ed Davey, the leader, and he's not always got very good name recognition, so I feel the na- need to say the leader. Oh, poor uh, Ed. <laughs> even, to, even to our well-educated and uh, uh, very intelligent bunker listeners, he said that Brexit was not something that the Lib Dems would be trying to reverse. In other words, they were not going to rejoin. And this came as a bit of a sad surprise to me, I have to say. I did think that they were fairly anti-Brexit, but it seemed not. Yes, he's sort of refusing to talk about the thorny issue of Brexit altogether. So where Labour have finally found a bit of a voice on it now, and have got a kind of path forward under a Labour government, they haven't really got much to say. And it's been the big issue for them, because they know that they're voters and their supporter base is overwhelmingly anti-Brexit. But saying, let's forget it, let's just join back in. And that you remember they did that bollocks to Brexit slogan for a while, which they tried out to help yeah, the student population. It just seemed a bit crass, didn't it? Very crass. I think they, they realised that was a mistake. So they rolled back from it too far. And now they're scared to say anything because they think it makes them look like a, a, um, a not very serious party of government. All of this, I think, is still a hangover from the coalition days where they don't quite know how to operate anymore because they were once a loud party of of protest and opposition. And now they're still remembered well for being part of a government that, in hindsight, made huge mistakes that have affected the history of our country. And they don't really know how to handle that. They look very unconvinced in their own you know values now it's really sad one thing they have done though is committed to keeping the triple lock so i think that's a blatant attempt to steal pensioners who are panicking who might waver between the tories and lib dem and they've also come up with a plan which has cost five billion they say for a free social care for for everybody and of course that's very attractive to the same audience so that's quite interesting they're clearly being very careful about poaching older people rather than the student vote now. Yeah, they've also rode back a bit on house building, which I imagine you might feel quite strongly about, Hannah. Yes. In fact, they've really committed to community development, which is something that sounds absolutely brilliant on paper. Let's get communities to lead the charge on development. They will be responsible for designing and, and encouraging development of you know, the kind of homes and the size of homes that really they need in their areas. That's great if you could get anyone to actually agree that there are new homes needed in your area. And the problem is that people who've already purchased one often tend to think that now they've got one, that the whole area is absolutely fine um, and, and oppose it. So turning away from large target numbers that are set nationally is always a mistake, I think. This is a, again, it's a form of infrastructure and the big decisions have to be taken at the centre, in my view. How are they doing in the polls? Not very well. They're on about 12%, which is the same as 2019. And that's very bad, obviously, considering the situation that we're in now. And apparently they're now losing votes. If you look at the at the analysis of where people are moving, they're actually losing votes directly to Labour, which is interesting because before they had that core 
you know, people who are concerned with the, with the Tories and perhaps were starting to back away from them couldn't feel they could ever vote Labour. Actually, now people are moving to Labour. It does feel a lot like 97 in that sense. And the pollster, John Curtis, who we love on the show and obviously is a fount of all knowledge about this stuff, says that it's because of their refusal to take a strong stance on Brexit, as we were just discussing. So rejoiners are drifting towards Labour because they're very disappointed to hear this. And yet, you know, Ed Davey, as you say, he's not a big charismatic figure. He's quite dull still, even though he's had a long time to kind of bed in. And they've got such a small parliamentary party now. There's kind of nobody else who's that visible either. So we can't do a double act with another figure. Yeah, so it's not going well for them. I feel they're going to have a bit of a difficult time next year. Yeah, and a difficult conference potentially. I uh, heard they got a goodie bag, though, with a Lego wall made of blue bricks and a little hammer that they can use to knock it down. So that's something. That sounds better than the party bags my kids get. (laughs) (laughs) And as well as rail strikes at the end of the week, there's also a five-day strike by the University College Union, which is timed to disrupt Freshers Week. Uh, This is a very long-running dispute over paying contracts that shows no signs of being resolved. Over in Utah, a capsule containing asteroid dust crashed into the desert. What is special about this asteroid, Hannah? Well, this particular asteroid, apparently... First of all, it might hit our planet in the next 300 years. Obviously, oh, great, in, great. Uh, yeah, in, in space terms, that's, you know, two seconds away. So we do need to know what it's made up of and what it could be capable of in terms of damaging Earth if it, if it does collide. But additionally, and probably more interestingly to everyone, it holds clues to the formation of the solar system. And how life, and potentially as well, on top of that, how life got started on Earth. So scientists have got a huge amount of data they can gather from this, and it might really crack open some of the remaining mysteries about early space. The interesting thing about this, I think, is I urge you to go and have a look at the photos online. They've got pictures of the scientists in the clean room where it's being stored, all in hazmat, and it's absolutely fascinating thinking about how they managed to handle this material and prevent it from being contaminated by the stuff of Earth in order to study it. So, yeah, worth worth a look. And after the coup there recently, France announced last night that it's withdrawing from Niger. This is a major blow to what is known as France-Afrique, isn't it? France's influence in Africa. Yes, it's interesting. So there's about 1,500 troops that are coming out as a result of Macron's decision. And when he spoke about it to the press, he described how this coup was carried out simply because the leadership in Niger was carrying out courageous reforms and that there was an an ethnic element to it. There was settlings of scores from historic conflict. And he simply doesn't want France to, you know, show any support for that. So outcome French troops. But this has immediate implications for France as well because it's a massive issue for French counter-terror operations in that region. And as you say, their influence too. But, you know, Macron says they won't be held hostage, as he puts it. So I suppose it's um, it's a kind of an indication of, of, of where we are now, that so many years post-colonialism, where it doesn't suit immediate interests, they're out. And no bandwidth for another war with Ukraine as well. Exactly. There's so much going on more locally that, yeah, the kind of there's a, a turning away of focus from, from that region. 
And almost finally, I have a brief warning to avoid Channel 4 on Tuesday evening because Matt <laughs> Hancock is in SAS Who Dares Wins, oh, dear. Um, a gig for which I believe he has earned about 40 grand, but oh, which God. I nonetheless do not feel the need to witness. So, And finally, finally, there is some slightly worrying news about Larry the Downing Street cat, although we're getting very mixed messages on that. Yes, apparently he's not very well. And that has been a discussion about how to break the news when he finally passes on to the next life. <laughs> Poor thing. But he really is Chief Mouser, the original and best Whitehall cat. There are other ones now. There's one in the Foreign Office, one in the Treasury. I can't remember their names, which shows how relevant they are compared to Larry, who tried to ape him and had Instagram accounts and all of that. But, you know, Larry's the one we all love, I think. <laughs> and I'll be sad to hear if he's uh, if he's no longer with us. But, you know, for the moment, Larry is a little bit Schrodinger's cat. We don't really know how well he is or not. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Hannah, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And you can support The Bunker by searching Patreon Bunker Podcast and contributing as little as £3 a month. That barely buys you a coffee these days. You'll get shows ad-free and early, plus a shout-out on the show. Here's Hannah with today's. Thank you to John Anning, Linda Holloway and Steve Taylor. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for joining us on The Bunker. Start Your Week from The Bunker was written and presented by Ros Taylor with Hannah Fern. The producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, Start Your Week from the Bunker is a Podmasters production.